Hello and welcome to the Seems Legit Podcast, hosted by your favorite craft beer drinking, whiskey sipping, bourbon appreciating, sushi eating, steak raving, speedo wearing, tell like it is, poker playing guitarist, the dude himself, the dude Sonny D. I want to thank you all so much for tuning into this episode of the Seems Legit Podcast. If you aren't already doing so, please follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at the dude Sonny D. Uh, all right. It's been a little while since our last episode, but tonight uh, we are in for a bit of a treat. I have got uh, my good buddy Nick joining us on the podcast yet again. Uh, we're going to cover um, some UFC talk, just some random stuff. So we're just thank you so much for joining us for our little chit-chat tonight. Uh, hope uh, you enjoy. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. All right, we got Nick here. Nick, thanks for joining us tonight. Yeah, happy to be back. It's been, uh, I think it's been about a week and a half now, probably, since we've done a podcast, so always happy to check in with you. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I, uh, yeah, we had, we had a good one. We talked about hockey. Uh, in between then, I did an episode talking uh, kind of about uh, some of the developments in poker going on and how um, for any casinos opening up, whatever their phase one looks like, there's like mandates on in terms of how many players can be at a table and how that affects things. Uh, so that's a good episode for all of you at home to check out. But uh, to recap that for uh, you, Nick, yeah, apparently um, what they've said down the States, I don't know if you're uh, uh, in the know about that, but it's four players max per table now in any poker room that wants to open. And as such, I mean, we can basically say this. Between that and the travel bans still in place... Um, there's no tournaments happening this summer and any type of return to tournament poker, I would say for 2020 is permanently affected. Like you're not seeing a return to a normal circumstance in my opinion. Yeah, that is with a four player, uh, four player table limit. There's no way you're getting any sort of tournament off the ground. No. And. I don't know if I'm gonna if we're gonna see a restriction or like a lightning of that to get up to. What do you think you would need? Do you think you need to get up to the full eight to be able to do a tournament? Or do you think maybe six would allow you to do so? Well, there are six max tournaments, so that is a thing yeah. in no limit hold'em. There are six max no limit hold'em tournaments, and then the other thing to remember too. Um, for the draw games, for some of the stud games, um, for things like the Poker Players Championships, for any of the mixed game tournaments, they're typically played six players um, just because of the amount of cards being dealt out. Yeah. So if they can get up to six, you could just say, all right, that's how tournaments are played from now on. And I mean, and that could be something well past 2020. You know, there could be a permanent, like, kind of line in the sand there that changes, you know, the way records are kept and whatnot, because we might not see a move away from six max for a long time. I'm fine with that. Um, but I will say this, the danger, and I, I'm even a fan of playing four max, but the danger with that is, especially in cash game poker and even in tournament poker, you only have so many, so much room. So you either need to, if you're going to run four max tournaments, you have to get more tables in or commit all your tables to that. And then B, the um, other side of it is um, from a cash game perspective, you still have to make it so that the house is making enough money. So either you drastically increase the rake, which players are not going to accept, I sure as hell wouldn't, um, or the house takes a loss, which they would be like, why would we do that? So... Yeah, no one no one is ever taking a loss on a front in a 
No. So I think when you think about that a little bit, it's tough. And I know um, even I've talked to some of my friends down in Vegas who work, as you know, in that industry. And they've even said, like one of them, he was out golfing with his boss and his boss told him, um, as long as it's four max, there's no work. Like we're not opening the room with four players. Like it's just not, it's just not feasible. And I can see how some of the bigger rooms, like the Bellagio, Aria, the place that had the places that have the really big private games, they play less players anyway. So that's a different story. Like those games, those will come back. But for the regular player that isn't playing in those bigger, higher state games, yeah, uh, live poker. Don't expect it this summer until the fall, in my opinion. And when it does come back in the fall, expect a very different look to it. But, I think there's going to be a different look to everything yeah. when everything comes back. Like 2020 is on hold. Nothing is coming back to normal in 2020. No. So 2021, yeah. spring probably at the earliest before you're going to kind of see maybe the bigger table starting to happen again. Yeah. No, I, I, and you know, it's, it's a big thing too because when you think about it, it's one of those things where we're going to have an opportunity to talk about this in years to come about the year we lost in modern society. Like imagine the fact that we've basically, we're already talking about the fact that 2020 is a wipe. Like that's something that kids are going to be hearing about. Like, you know, like Littlefoot, she's going to be going to school and talking with her classmates. And as she becomes a teenager and stuff, like she's always going to have those memories now of like, oh, remember that time when I was like five and a half and stuck and kids, imagine if you're 10 years old right now, 12 years old right now, you're going to have vivid memories of this for the rest of your life. You know, like you're going to vividly remember trying to date like, oh, this is what I did when I was nine. This is what I did when I was eight. And Mm -hmm. you're going to get to like 10, you're going to be like, I didn't leave my house for six straight months when I was 10. What happened there? Did I have, like, influenza? Did I have some terrible disease that I just thought about as a child? No, you're just going to have nothing for that entire year. Yeah, it's it's crazy when you think about that, that we've come to that. But, and I mean, even, too, when you look at... Go ahead. It's going to be funny to look back at our... uh, When everyone does those top nine posts of 2020. Yeah. On their Instagram page. And it's just going to be them sitting on their living room couch. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And that's going to be six of your top. Oh, for sure. For sure, for sure, for sure. And I mean, it's a weird thing too, because even when you look at like the reopening of things, you know, it's, you know, it becomes an issue too of you can't start breeding a certain amount of paranoia in people either. Like I almost felt today, like I was more panicked having the mask on my face than I was being in Costco. Like having the mask on for that long, like I was breathing out of my mouth, like I was almost hyperventilating cause I'm like, holy shit, like this is dangerous, whatever. But I'm like in the grand scheme of it, I'm like, this is the way it is. It isn't that bad, but it's like, this is where we're at right now that to go to the grocery store safely you know, and, and, you know, wherever people sit on the fence about this, we can always argue that putting on the mask is safer than not. And we're at a point now where it's like, yeah, to go out somewhere, yeah, you have to make that decision of like, do I want to put on the mask? Do I not want to put on the mask? You know, I, so it's just, it's just weird. It is, it is weird out there. 
I think you're right. It's kind of I'm I'm in the camp of I fully acknowledge the mask is safer. Yeah. I'm in the camp of I don't wear a mask and I don't wear gloves. I'm yeah. sorry, it's just it's just not the way you know you know me. It's not the way I'm wired. Yeah. It's not the kind of thing that I'm gonna do. But at the same um, time, like I would imagine for you though, you're not going out and visiting pe- like hanging out with people or anything like that. Like, you know, it's had a, a social impact. Um, in a way, like you're not going to go out and, and, and hang out with someone new because you're like, fuck it. I don't want the risk in that sense. No, absolutely. I mean, you know me, I'm a crazy, I've been dating a lot over the last year and a bit. Yeah. I've been pretty much on a month and a, let's say month and a half moratorium from that where it's just like, yeah, this just does not, that just does not exist anymore. <laughs> And, and I mean, and it sounds bad too, but it, it's just like, and I mean, we were, uh, when this all start, when this wasn't even in Canada yet, we were already kind of like, oh yeah, you like, if they have ball hockey, we're, and we've talked about this on the podcast, how you and I have come complete 180 on it. I mean, there are certain things like going to the grocery store today. We went, I went to the liquor store as well. Like things like that I felt okay about, but by no means would I sit in a crowded restaurant right now. Like, that's, I just don't have a desire to do that. No, I mean, we were kind of like the last kind of one straggling around. Maybe not the last one, but we were straggling around at Transcan that night, and it was pretty empty that night. Yeah. And then that was kind of like within a week, that was when you locked, started your lockdown, and then about a week after that, that's kind of when I, like, closed off to the world. Yeah. And I mean, and it's, and it's, and it's a weird thing, too, because... Like, I would do things, like, I was, uh, you know, Jess and I have talked about this, like, of having, once it's nice, the problem has been the evenings have been so cold up here, but, um, of having, you know, that's when you can start to, you know, have people over for a barbecue in the backyard, things like that. People that you know have been observing the proper protocols, it's like, okay, yeah, come on over now, because you're no risk to me. Um, And that's the thing that people have to understand, too, is that a return to normal, so to speak, doesn't mean you have to go to the shopping mall and go to the you know go to the crowded restaurant and all of that. But I mean, if you've been observing proper protocols and social uh, distancing uh, re- rules and whatever, at a certain point, you don't pose a risk to anyone, and you can establish a social circle that you can interact with on the regular. It's just that you have to, you all have to be on the same page about it. Yeah, I mean, you still need to be smart and be like, you know what, we're not gonna, we're not gonna sit right beside each other and yeah. you know, arm wrestle in your backyard. Yeah. But you know, we'll do some sort of some sort of social distancing. But it's the same thing. Yeah, like we're gonna, I'm gonna see my parents this weekend. Yeah. Uh, and my brother and his fiance this weekend. Yeah. Because we're just all kind of like, well, we all know where we've been. Now they're a little dicier because my brother is a healthcare worker and so is right. his fiance. Mm-hmm. But they're masked up the whole time. So yeah. They're masked up. They're gloved up. Actually, I don't know if they're still. Yeah, I think they still are doing the mask, the gloves, the whole nine. Oh, I'd imagine they have they're, to. They're yeah. not really any risk either. Yeah. Well, it's just not worth it. It, it just it, it it isn't worth it because, yeah, in a like in a best case scenario. You know, you're asymptomatic, you now have, you know, antibodies, the whole nine yards. That's a best case scenario. But, I mean, the other intermediary scenarios don't sound that appealing to me. And at the best of times, I don't know that there's anybody who actually truly enjoys being sick. No matter what it is, whether it's you have a bad case of the stomach flu, you have one of those 24-hour head colds, whatever the fuck it is... 
I don't think there are too many people that actually enjoy being physically ill. Yeah, I can't imagine anyone being like, you know what I really feel like doing today? I really feel like getting like just a horrendous stomach flu. Yeah. I don't think anybody says, hey, I, you know, I could really go for a bout of lava like, you know, 72 hours of just insane diarrhea. Nobody fucking wants that. You not unless you've got like, uh, not unless you've entered into one of these uh, COVID weight loss challenges and then you're just kind of like, shit, weighing some more. You know what I need? <laughs> I, need, need some, I need to eat some questionable sushi tonight because I need to have just like the biggest bout of diarrhea of my I, life. I need some 7-Eleven sushi. I need some 7-Eleven sushi. I want to meet that. I, 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 you know, I want to, it sounds bad, but I don't know. I don't even want to get into it because, I mean, it gets kind of sad when you think of all the possibilities. But I just, there, there are certain things I could never fathom the idea of eating. And things like, you know, like the gas station sushi, the, the, you know, the 7-Eleven sushi just isn't there for me. I couldn't do it. No, I mean, there's also that dicey, 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 like, <laughs> gas station on St. Anne's that just randomly has just, like, the most questionable-looking sushi place in my life. <laughs> I would not, you could not pay me, I don't know, you'd have to pay me at least a grand to eat a, to eat a roll from there. <laughs> I know, right? Like, it's just like, oh, my God, some of these places, like, some of these places you go, you, you know, you see, and you're like, I don't know that I, and it could, and I'm not, and you know what? And it's not a knock on the restaurateur or anything like that. It's not a knock on their business. I should clarify that for everybody listening. I'm not saying it's a bad business or that they are necessarily. I just don't know that's for me. I don't know that I could in one breath go fill up my car and then park it to the side and go into the adjacent sushi restaurant. I just don't know that I could do it. And it could be the best sushi ever. I just don't know that I'm there. Yeah, I'm definitely not there. And it's funny, too, because, yeah, like, some of the best restaurants in Winnipeg are just those little, like, hole-in-the-wall places that you look at and you're like, oh, my God, that place looks like a hellhole and I might get shivved if I walk in the door. Yeah. And then it's like, the best food of your life. And you're like, oh, okay, well, that was a... Well, I took the risk. Well, there's that place. Um, what's that That cocktail place um, off of, like, Sherbrooke there or whatever it is? Oh, Langside. Langside. Yeah. Like, that place is re- is wicked. Yeah, and then there's that other place. There's that deli or something, too, that's around there that's actually a nice, that's actually a decent cocktail place, too. I, I, dude, it's been so long since I've had to go on, like, actual planned, thought-out dates. I don't even know where I would begin. Like, but, uh, <laughs> I, I honestly, that's the thing, like... I, I mean, especially coming out of this, like, you know, I, I'm, if I was, for instance, to be single coming out of this and it's like you could go wherever you want, whatever, we had a vaccine, all of that, I wouldn't know where to fucking begin anymore. Because, I mean, A, what has survived? Like, there's a lot of businesses, not just in Winnipeg, but all over the place that have had to close down because of this. Um. You know, so I just, I wouldn't even know where to start when it comes to dating anymore, you know? So, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of thankful I've got what I got. And, uh, you know, Je- myself, Jess, and Littlefoot, we have our own little unit there. And you know what? It, 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 I got to say, throughout this whole COVID thing, it's been, um, 
it's been interesting because I mean, it's a it's a weird family dynamic in itself because we do like you know we do share the custody of Littlefoot with her dad, and I mean he's an essential worker. He's in the front lines. Like to me, he's almost at more at risk than other people that he works in a grocery store, and he's probably more at risk than. Pardon me as I burp there. Um, he's probably more at risk than your brother and um, and the and your brother's fiance. In all honesty. Because people could go in there and be nasty and cough all over the place, sneeze all over the place, lick. Like, you see these video clips of people in the States licking fucking things at the grocery store. And you're like, did you seriously think I've got nothing better to do with my fucking time than go to the grocery store and lick a can of beans? Like, what, what the fuck is that? Like, how little do you have going on that you need to do shit like that? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, you've got way too much time on your hands if you're walking around licking shit. <laughs> you know? That's just, that's just a growth. It's a risk to yourself and a risk to everyone around you. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's, it's the whole, like, it's the whole Rudy Gobert of it all. Yeah. Like, I joked around that I'm worried about COVID, touching all the reporters' microphones, and then he gets, and then he's the NBA player who gets diagnosed with COVID. And then gives it to a teammate. And then gives it to Donovan. Like, that's fucked. Like, and I, even his teammate, Donovan, whatever his name is, was not fucking happy about it. Like, he said, our friendship slash, like, it's never going to be the same. It's never going to be repaired. Yeah, I think they're trying to, like, the team has said that they're open to a reconciliation and the relationship has gotten better. But, I mean, the team's going to say whatever the team wants to say. Yeah. The proof's going to be in the pudding and when, the, when and if the NBA comes back this year. Well, I mean, Donovan is throwing him lobs. Well, who is it? Is it Dak Prescott, whose brother died from COVID? Is it? I think some big name athlete had like a brother that died recently of it, like within the last few weeks. Holy, I must, I must have missed that one. It slipped on. I don't know how it fucking slipped under the radar, but it was like somehow. I think it could have been Dak. It could have been yeah, Dak. But remember, Dak and Zeke were out at fucking parties a few weeks ago. Like, those two morons, you know? Like, it's just, what? why? Yeah. Right? I just... Yeah, I'm, it's right at the end of April. You know? Like, why? It just, it boggles my mind. Because one thing that has to be clear, and I think it was Ricky Gervais recently that said it the best, when he said, like, don't go looking at fucking celebrities on how to quarantine. We all live better than the rest of you. So don't worry about us. We're fine. Like it was something along those lines where he was just like, you know, I want to be clear. Like don't go taking like, oh my God, quarantine's so hard. Quarantine. They have private pools, private gyms, private everything. Their food gets delivered, sanitized. They don't even have to touch. Do you think Kylie Jenner touches her fucking groceries? Not a chance. Yeah, no, you definitely don't look at a celebrity for how to quarantine. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, do you think Kim Kardashian is real? Like, I get the whole, like, yeah, you're locked up and stuff and whatever. But being locked up in Kim Kardashian's house is a lot different than being locked up in your and mine house. Yeah. Like, it's a very oh, different standard of quarantine that they're going through than we are. Yeah, I mean, they're still getting... I wonder if they're still getting house service. I mean, Oprah was 
showing off trying to put her duvet duvet back in the duvet cover. So, I mean, they're... Celebrities are hurting too when Oprah Winfrey is trying to reassemble her duvet. Or is it just Oprah trying to make it seem like she's one of us? Come on. You don't think that they have that they're not paying people to live with them, that they started buckling down, you know, and said, Okay, all of my slave you know, my servants come, you live here now. Yeah, that's actually very true. <laughs> like if you think about it, like honestly. If I could, if I had a gig as like a cook for one, like, let's say for one of the fucking Kardashians or all the Kardashian family, I would say, fuck it. Yeah. You house me, Jess and the little Tundi, and we'll come live with you for three months, four months, five months, six months, whatever the fuck it is. Sure. Fuck yeah. Yeah, that's true. With what they're paying you to, with what they're paying you just to even do the cooking. Yeah. You're, yeah, you know what, that's okay, I'll keep, I'll keep cooking for you, we'll move in, let, 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 let us live for free and pay you my usual salary, we'll yeah. call it a day. Yeah, oh, I have to make sure you guys are eating at whatever fucking times, yeah, for that amount of money, and to live in this fucking beautiful place, and I get, like, free run, like, I ain't living in no, like, servant quarters, like, I want to actually be treated like a human here, fuck yeah, I would do it, fuck yeah. You know, like, it's just, it, it boggles my, it's like, yes, like, when you think about it, like, Gordon Ramsay's quarantine experience, his whole family's quarantine experience, vastly different than anything you and I could imagine. Vastly different. You know, you know, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, yeah, their quarantine, fucking Jeff Bezos, like, for, yeah, never for, experience is better than our day-to-day lives. Yes. Yeah, their shittiest quarantine day is still exponentially better than anything I could imagine. You know, yeah, but not even a pretty close comparison. <laughs> but speaking of like speaking of developments and how the world's changing, UFC was back this Saturday. For any of you that don't know, I'm sure everybody knows, but they were back this Saturday with their first live card. Um, since the whole COVID thing, they were also, I believe the last live sports period to shut down. Like they had their last event and they were the last sport in town. Um, and you know what? I got to say props to Dana White and the UFC for getting like, for putting this together and doing it in a way. I think it was so important that their first event that they came back for was in a regulated jurisdiction that it took place in Jacksonville, Florida, that the Florida State, you know, Athletic Commission or whatever it is, the Florida Boxing Commission, whatever it is that governs mixed martial arts there was involved, you know, that they basically rented out a hotel. Like they're like we basically are going to own this hotel for the next month and a half. Um, but when I was watching like the UFC um embeddeds and I was in you they were taking you behind the scenes as to the precautions and protocols that everybody had to go through. Like, I was like, you know what? This is about as good as it fucking gets. Like, if you're going to run sports, this is about how it has to be. And it isn't that bad at the grand scheme of it. No, I mean, good on them for doing everything they can to try to get back. Paying the money that it costs to do all the things, all the testing, all the hotels, all of the staffing, everything that had to go on. Yeah. And I mean, you know what? At the end of the day... Everybody going into that scenario knew 
knew what the risks were. They knew what ri- they knew they were putting themselves at some potential risk of contamination or whatever it may be. They knew there was some moderate risk involved, and they were able to sign off on it. And I mean, when you do all the, pers- the protocols and the procedures, you do mitigate the risk a little bit. I mean, you can't eliminate it, but you do bring it way down. But I mean, you have a risk in in a in a way. Like I've I've said this. Like you have a risk anytime you go anywhere right now. You know, so yeah. you could take this easily to that extreme of being uh, of becoming truly like cripplingly germophobic versus you know, a situation where you have where you can be open and honest with yourself and you're like, "Hey, you know what? There's a risk just to going out and getting your garbage." In all honesty, and I think you can there, you can mitigate the risk. I think we're quite lucky here in Manitoba that it seems Manitobans as a whole have been very proactive about their risk mitigation towards COVID nineteen. But I mean, there's mathematical ways, and I, we've talked about. It. I've gone through it many way many times on the podcast. How you make it work that you try and avoid risk to anybody involved. And I mean, you do all of that. You do at a certain point have to say, hey, everybody get out of the cave. It's time to come out. We have to get out of the cave again. Come on, let's go. You know? Now, have they released, I don't know, I don't think this number's coming out yet. Have they released the number of buy, the pay-per-view buys for that event yet? Do we know? Does the UFC release how many people buy an, buy an event like boxing? They do, yeah. Oh, UFC, no. I think it was 249, right? Yeah, it was 249. Let's see what I can find here. I got my computer. Um... I'm going to guess it must have been it must have been fucking astronomically high. I, don't, I, I can't imagine it was low. I can't imagine it was low. And you know what? In all fairness, having seen it, I don't want to spoil it for you. Um, but it was um, pretty fucking good. Like it was a good, good, good card. So, apparently, like, so they haven't released the final number yet, but from what I understand, according to late last week, they were already outpacing um, their previous uh, one, two, three, four cards, each of which um, featured fighters the likes of John Jones and Conor McGregor. So... Again, it just goes to show there is an interest for it. And I think, you know, one of the big takeaways I saw from this is it it wasn't that bad not having the fans there. In all honesty, I really don't think it was any different other than the, the, the fans booing or cheering and the interaction between the fights with the fans. But the fight quality itself was great. The production quality, great. Everything was fine, just you were missing fans, and you know what? In all honesty, didn't miss them. Yeah, I haven't watched it yet. I didn't get a chance to watch it on Saturday night. I have read online that he said there that they were trending towards double what a usual event by rate would be. So I mean, Jesus, that's out of this world big. Yeah. But you know what? UFC is something I could see translating very well with no fans. Because yeah. at the end of the day, you've got the action going on. It's nonstop action. You've got world-class athletes going at it. Mm-hmm. I, don't know you, I don't know how much wrestling you've watched these days. Oh, my God. It's been atrocious. It is unwatchable. Like, it is. The fans, even if you put on a great match, if you could give me 
bringing Shawn Michaels versus Bret Hart Iron Man match from, I think, WrestleMania 12. Yeah. And I'm going to be bored. Yeah. But you give me a UFC fight, no sound. I'm thoroughly entertained. Yeah. The, the, I'm good. The, the wrestling has been atrocious. Professional wrestling has, you know, in a way... It's that was one industry that should have packed it in. Like they should have, and I think, in my opinion, AEW has been doing a better job than WWE. But I mean, it is painful to watch WWE right now and wrestling as a whole. Like it, there's an element to it that just is necessary that is not present. And I mean, if you're WWE, the problem that you have, right, is that. You are already on the downswing going into this. And now you do this. I mean, what is it that people really have to look forward to coming out of this? And those are the questions, like, I imagine they're asking themselves. But if they aren't, they really need to start. Because that loyal fan base is going to find other shit to do with their time and their money. And, I mean, quite frankly, I can't say I blame them. They have to keep. They have to keep putting on a show. They have to keep doing because they've got all these high rate, high ass fixed costs that they have to pay beyond mm-hmm. the wrestler salaries, which are obviously probably they yeah. could avoid based on the way they structure the contract. But fuck, yeah, yeah, it is. It is not entertaining right now. I mean, they're doing their best. I find. I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm finding there's a lot of a lot more talking between the wrestlers. Like, they try to have them talking more between the matches. Yeah. Kind of offering their own, offering their own commentary for what's going on. Yeah. And it's just, it's just weird. It doesn't it quite work. No, it, it just isn't, it isn't there for me. And... It could be, you know, it could be a mix of things. It could be the dullness of the wrestlers itself. It could be the fact that it seems so forced... But the other thing, too, it seems like it's remember when that new building went up, the new business building went up at U of W and they said, well, this was the best we could do, given the time constraints and the fact that we were over budget and this and that. And it became and the running joke was, can I use this now for my assignments? Oh, I was running late. This was the best I could do. I get an A, you know. Yeah. I feel like wrestling's kind of hit that point where it's like and the WWE's kind of hit that point where in a sense, yeah, I get that this is the best you can do, but is it worth doing? Like, is this, in the grand scheme of it, worth doing, or do you have to face some much harder business truths? Yeah, you know what, I think the hard part, I think the difference between, one of the differences, I mean, there are obviously many differences, but one of the things that makes the UFC so exciting is that you know at the most you're tuning in for, I don't know, 15 minutes, 25 minutes of a fight. Yeah. And at any second, that fight could just end. Yes. You have, it could just end. With the WWE, you watch a match and you're like, okay, this is probably going for 25 minutes, 20 yeah. to 25 minutes, with a commercial break in between. Yeah. So you're just kind of, there just isn't that sense of potential finality at any second. Yeah. Where at least with the UFC, any swing, any kick, any moment, could be, yeah. Could either be a takedown that leads to a submission, yeah. or somebody who can get knocked the fuck out. Yeah, yeah. There's there's an element of excitement. Like I know for me, like growing up, I was always a big pro wrestling fan. But it, it's true, there is a bit of a transition, and and more the more wrestling fans that get into something like UFC and mixed martial arts as a whole, 
I found it with myself too. It's hard to go away, you know, to go from that excitement of anything could happen and the fact that it's real. Like these people are legitimately going in there with nasty intentions of beating the shit out of each other to this lackluster, you know, dull, produced, rehearsed, you know, all of this production and it's, you know, it becomes a little bit off, uh, you know, especially with wrestling when it's like, yeah, you know, this person isn't losing the belt on this pay-per-view or whatever. So it's just like, what's the point of watching something scripted when I could literally just change the channel and watch a legitimate championship fight where, yeah, the champion might be a huge favorite, but shit happens. Yeah, and I mean, not that we are not saying that wrestlers are not incredible athletes by any metric. No, they're way better shape than I'm in. Put their body through hell on earth. Yeah. There's no way to fake what they're, the way they land sometimes and the impact. No. But there's just something that you really feel the stageness of wrestling right yeah. now, where UFC, I can't imagine it felt really any different other than just the, the fans weren't there. Yeah. But I mean, hey, when we watched that, uh, oh, I can't, Adesanya and whatever. Romero. Uh, Romero fight. Could you imagine watching that thing without any fans? <laughs> no offense to Adesanya or Romero, but that fight with no fans would have been like, that would have been like watching paint dry. But maybe it pay, plays out differently with no fans, right? Maybe they're not feeling a pressure to perform in front of the crowd. Maybe Romero goes for it. Maybe Romero goes to try and land that knockout on Adesanya. Maybe Adesanya is just like, fuck it. Like, let's just, it's two of us, man on man, locked in here. I'm going to make a highlight reel out of you. You know? The difference is this. Imagine watching something that dull, but fucking scripted. That's the issue with pro wrestling is you get some of these matches that are dull as shit and you're like, that was scripted and planned and that's what you gave me? I get it in the fighting sense. Yeah, nobody likes to see a lackluster fight, especially on pay-per-view, especially when you've parted ways with your hard-earned money. In the same breath, the other side of that is hold up. Um, I get it. I don't want to get the shit beaten out of me. Therefore, I'm going to play things a little cautiously. I get that in real fighting. But in stage scripted wrestling? Come on. You can't be giving me the, the, the Adesanya Romero equivalent when it's scripted. If it's fucking scripted and rehearsed, you better be able to put something that's going to make me say, Yeah, you know what? That was worth that time I gave it. That was definitely, that was worth the... 25 minutes of my life that I I believe in the exact same venue. And I think they might, even though they're free cards, so they're going to be on TSN up here in Canada and ESPN down in the States. 
I do believe from what I understand, it'll be the exact, like it will be as if it's almost like a pay-per-view. Like from what I understand, in order to kind of risk mitigate, like I think they might've actually gotten Joe Rogan and Daniel Cormier to agree to do the broadcast for that as well. John Anik does all of them. I mean, why not? But um, I think the UFC shelled out the money to get DC and uh, Rogan in for those events. And the idea is they're going to, yeah, have those three, those other two in Jacksonville. I think Fight Island is still like kind of under preparations and constructions because there's huge infrastructural issues um, with trying to concoct a Fight Island, let alone like, I mean, we still need to understand where the regulations fall in, who's regulating it and all of that. Um, like, you, you know, like imagine how, like that's basically Mortal Kombat. If you're like, hey, let's put some people on a boat, take them out to an island and say fight. Like, you know, we've seen how that plays out. Yeah, that's very true. What jurisdiction do you fall under for legality? The U.S. international waters? Yeah. It's going to be like that episode of The Simpsons where you've got a guy boxing a kangaroo. Yeah. What's going on with this fight island? Who, who, where is this legal? What law is it under? Yeah. So, I mean, there's... There's those issues to deal with. Plus there's, you know, it sounds bad, but at least if you're in, in a place like Jacksonville, Florida, there's hospitals, there's, there's, there's healthcare facilities, there's healthcare professionals right there. There's infrastructure to handle. Basically, let's say if everybody involved with that card came down with COVID and all of them needed to be hospitalized or treated, there's a way to do that. Um, That's the thing. So it, it, it's nice in theory. It's nice in practice and all these things. But it's also, it, it's quite the undertaking. Like, l- lest we forget, it is quite the undertaking that they are um, going with here. So, you know, it's, uh, whilst it's a nice thing that they're trying to do and that they, you know, and I, and I give them credit, right? Because... I mean, these fighters, unless they have great deal sponsorship deals outside of the UFC, and I mean, even then we've heard all the talk about because of the Reebok deals and things like that, it's not as easy as it once was. It be, it does become an issue of, hey, wait a second. Like, you know, we uh, have to be cognizant of the fact that, you know, these people aren't earning a living or at least aren't earning a regular living the way they normally would. And at least the UFC is trying to give them a medium and a way to do that. Yeah, because at the end of the day, we know the top end fighters are making bank. We know they're making enough. Yeah. So what they make on a fight is beyond my wildest dreams for a year. Yeah. But those guys at the bottom of the card and on the prelims and everything else, yeah, those guys are fighting for like enough just to kind of 
make it profitable to get to the next fight, hoping to move up the card a little bit higher next time. Well, and that's exactly it. You know, I um, Miles Jury. I don't know if he still fights in the UFC or if he officially retired, whatever it is, but. He's he has a YouTube channel now where he basically taught where he does videos where he talks about what he made, you know, for his fight versus this opponent, that opponent, whatever, and breaks it down. And I think it was like something like his first fight in the UFC, he netted out like only a few thousand dollars. And I'm like a few thousand dollars to have some to have a trained killer come and try and beat the crap out of me? Like that that ain't right. Like that's not a good deal. Yeah, that's a shitty deal. And um, but he talked about it. He was very open and candid because so the thing I mean, there's so many things that people don't consider. Yes, they're independent. Well, firstly, it's not yes, they're independent. It's they are independent contractors. They're not paid to sit around. They're not paid to go and train. That those have costs. And for those of you out there listening to the podcast. For these professional fighters, for any professional fighter typically, unlike the rest of us that go and you pay your monthly gym dues, you know, you go and you train at whatever, you know, kickboxing or taekwondo or whatever the hell gym you're at or jujitsu gym, whatever, it's not like that for professional fighters. Um, They don't pay ongoing monthly dues and that's why they might train out of your gym, but you never see them. They train when the classes aren't happening. I want to be clear about that. Um, you know, John Jones is not there kicking the heavy bags at Jackson Wink while they're doing Tuesday night cardio kickboxing. It's not happening. You know, you're not, you know, you're not signing up to be like, oh, I want to go take martial arts at Jackson Wink down in Albuquerque and hoping to train with Donald Cerrone. It's not happening. All right. Let's be very clear about that. Um, and actually for a lot of those facilities, they do have separate training facility for the professionals and for you know the, the the classes. With that being said, professional fighters um, typically pay a percentage of their fight purse to the gym. That's their way of giving back, um, and that's why gyms typically have the dual model. They have the classes and the regular folk that go and train, and then they have the professionals that come in and train. Um, And that's why they want to try and bring in champions or get champions, have the coaches in place, the facilities in place to get high level professional fighters, because that's where there could be big money being made, especially for a guy like Donald Cerrone, who was fighting. I mean, there was a time I think it was where he fought seven times within two months, you know, um, but they usually are typically paying a fee in the ballpark of 10% plus per fight. Yeah. Um, so there's that aspect of it. So you pay 10% to there, plus you have to pay your, your manager. What's that? Another 10%. So you have 10% there. You have all of your costs associated with the training. You have your equipment, you have, you know, any recruit, so massage, athletic therapy, whatever it is, you're on the hook for that as well. You, um, you have your travel costs, your food costs, all of these things come, you know, weigh into the total cost of what it is to fight. Also, even when you make it to the UFC, there are very few fighters that are having entire entourages paid for by the UFC. Typically the deal is your fighter is the fighter plus maybe one or two coaches 
That's all the airfare and hotel they're paying for. And that's why sometimes you see them having to bunk up with their coaches and whoever they bring. And if they do bring other people, either A, you notice they try to bring in name brand fighters from within their camp because that person can usually pay for themselves to come. Or they're having to be like, hey man, I need you to come. I'll pay for your airfare. I'll buy you some, I'll buy you meals while you're out there, but you're having to shack up with me because I can't afford to put you up by yourself. You know, and sometimes that's where you hear the thing of, oh, I'm going, you know, they, if they win a fight and they're like, to my wife and my kids back home because they have to make those tough decisions. I had to bring a training partner out here versus my wife or kid, right? Like that's, those are tough decisions. So I give a lot of credit when you factor all of that in that at least this is what they're choosing to do for a living. Nobody's, you know, forcing them to, but this is what they've chosen to do. These are the, the drawbacks of it. But at least the UFC is giving them a medium, so I give them a lot of credit for that. Yeah, good on them for it's really important for them to keep that up. Because otherwise, we're going to end up in that period of everybody just has to retire, or like all of these fighters who are trying to make it in twenty twenty, yeah, just stop. Yeah, because they have no way to make any money. They have no way to practice. They have no way to train their craft, and that's yeah, that's our career end without ever really getting off the ground because yeah. you, couldn't, you couldn't really fight. And, and and forgetting even the guys, um, you know, that are trying to get off the ground, even those guys that are kind of, you know, on the tail end, they're in the twilight days of their fucking fighting careers. I mean, if you're not getting back in there, you're like, whoa, that's another year off of the end that I'm not in there. Like, that has an effect in itself, right? So... You know, when you think about things like that, like there's dangers in that as well. You know, if you look like a, at a guy like DC, it's funny because Stipe has, I mean, he's a first responder. He's a firefighter. And he has said like, that comes first to me. That always has come first and that will continue to come first. And I give, and I have the utmost respect for UFC heavyweight champion Stipe Miocic. I do. But it was funny because DC you know, a month and a half ago was singing his praises. Like, you know, I get it. You know, Stipe's doing America's job. Like he's fighting the real fight, this and that. All of a sudden DC's like, wait a second, hold up. If he's doing that all year, we're into next year. I might not have a next year to fight. Um, I got to kind of change the rhetoric here a little bit and start trying to, you know, encourage somebody to fight me. And I mean, and, and that's the danger in it too. Maybe it would be time for DC to hang up the gloves. Maybe he shouldn't be getting back in the octagon. I'm in no position to tell DC what to do. But again, you have to be kind of careful what you're asking for. He's at the end of his career. He's looking for one last big paycheck from fighting. And I mean, one last title fight, whatever it might look like. What happens if John Jones decides, you know what? Fuck it. I'm coming up to heavyweight. You know what, DC? You You couldn't just do the commentary? I'm going to fight you now. Like, what if that happens? If you're DC, you don't want that. No, that would just be, that would be, the, that would be pointless for you. <laughs> you know, uh, I don't know if you saw it today. Oh, He's... great, I'll kick my ass again. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I wanted to end my career with, another ass you know, he's even this year, it got even more. Today he was calling out, Fran, he was saying that he's willing to fight Francis Ngannou. Um, I don't think DC wants to get hit in the face by Francis Ngannou. Not happening. No. Like, I don't think anyone wants to get hit in the face by him. 
You know, like he's like, oh yeah, you know, Francis has earned a title shot. And if the, if Stipe isn't fighting, they're going to take the belt and I'd be prepared to fight Francis and Ganyu for the interim title. Um, DC, do you know what happens if he hits you once? Like, you're at an age now where that one concussive blow could literally change your life trajectory. But yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think that fight is I don't think that fight is happening. I think he'd uh, I have faith that he'd wise up and, and not take that fight. I think it's just uh, in the moment you're you say it and then you kind of go ooh. <laughs> that doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oops. What happens if Uncle Data grants my wish? Yeah, exactly. You know, like. Now, interestingly enough, note from that is that McGregor is actually talking about how he wants to take, uh, how he says he's going to be Gaethje's next fight. Well, it's it's funny because Gaethje, before he got this interim title shot and eventual win, um, is. The amazing thing there is, yeah, there was a lot of talk. He was wanting the Connor fight. He was wanting Red Panty Night. He's like, yeah, I want the big money fight. And it's funny. If you're Connor, it's an interesting thing. If you're in the UFC and you're in the Connor McGregor business, it's an interesting dynamic. Because do you use Connor on a no crowd fight? I mean, everybody and their mother's going to buy that pay per view. Don't even worry about that. Um, but. In the same breath, like, do you try to hold off and say, you know what, fuck it, like, we need to almost keep Connor for that first, you know, live event where there are people, in it. you know, it's 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 an interesting thing. I think the fact, I think Connor's itching to fight. He looked so good against Cerrone, and I think he wants to. Tr he knows he has he has goat ceiling. You know, Shannon Sharp says about Patrick Mahomes. Conor McGregor has true goat ceiling. And he could really... I mean, Conor at his best, I still stand by it, beats Khabib. He could... I mean, Conor... The Conor McGregor that beat Cowboy Cerrone beats the Tony Ferguson that showed up on Saturday. I'll say that right now. Um, and I think, again, he hits so hard with such precision... He starts, Gaethje's taking some abuse and he says that. These guys come in here, their brains rattled, their jaws abused, and they think they want to get hit in the face from by me. I can tell them it's not a good idea. And he isn't wrong. He isn't wrong. He is starching guys in their tracks. And I think... I mean, if you're Connor, I can see where if he's in shape, he's focused, he's dedicated, that's a rough night for any one of those guys. Oh, yeah, I think Connor takes the I do think Connor probably takes that fight. I have no doubt in my mind that he has the potential to win that fight. And quite honestly, beat anyone in the division, yeah. without question. Yeah. Especially with how hard he hits and how like you said, how precise he hits. Yeah. There's a reason why he did go. I mean, we we joke around, whatever people joke around about it. There's a reason why he met, he lasted eight rounds with Floyd in the box. Ten rounds with Floyd. Was it nine? It was ten rounds with Floyd. Ten rounds. I mean, yeah, I know Floyd is a bit of a defensive fighter. And depending, but, but depending how you were scoring that fight. There was reason to believe Connor was ahead on the scorecards. Yeah. You know, Co Floyd's corner told him, like, hey, 
boy, pick it up. The last thing you need to do is lose a decision to this guy. And, I mean, all kinds of crookedness in the ref and all of that during the fight, and we can say whatever we want there, but... At the end of the day, Connor didn't get embarrassed in that fight. He did not embarrass himself, and Floyd did not embarrass him. Connor showed up, and he fought. And, I mean, if you put boxing gloves on him and Khabib, if you say, hey, Khabib, those takedowns are yours, not allowed. Connor fucks him up every time. Oh, Connor would end him. You know? In like a straight up, in a straight, like, in a straight no takedown. Fight. That way, yeah, no doubt. Connor pulls that round, and the fighting's gonna be close. No, Khabib doesn't even get out of the first. Doesn't even really get out of the first. No, because because Connor's just gonna stalk him. He's just gonna walk him down against that cage or against those ropes and just start landing. Yeah, you know, and I mean that's the thing. You know, Connor McGregor is a very special athlete and a very special fighter, and. Um, I'd be excited to have him back. And I think, you know what? Connor kind of does get to dictate his terms a little bit now. And there's so many interesting opportunities for him. There's talk that he might be fighting Nick, I mean, Nate Diaz. You know, that there might be the trilogy fight there. You know, there might be the Tony Ferguson fight. I could see how the, the Ferguson fight could be an alluring fight for him. Put Get Tony right out of the fucking picture. You know, Tony Ferguson got so used to winning that to get beaten and he did he got thoroughly beaten by justin gaethje um you know there's there's some there's some selling factors there you know i'll tell you one guy who i wouldn't want to step in the fight with at any you know across all the weight classes and that's israel adesanya i mean that guy's looking otherworldly right now yeah, let's, well, we can ignore the last fight. I mean, obviously, there's a reason why he fought that fight the way he did. Yeah. But he is looking unreal right now. He's looking like, honestly, he's looking like John Jones in his absolute peak rise to the top. Yeah. When he just pulled down the belt and looked absolutely unstoppable to anyone in the world. Yeah. That, that is how he's looking right now. And that have you ever seen, I don't know if you've ever taken the time to do this. But look up Israel Adesanya's, like, kickboxing highlights. Fuck. Like, he was even scarier in kickboxing than he is in the UFC. Like, he is probably, in terms of knowledge, technique, skill set, all of that, he is the best striker in mixed martial arts, by far. Like, he has the credentials to back a statement like that up. Like, when he says, this guy just isn't at my level, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. Yeah, I'll have to, uh, I'll have to set a little reminder in my phone because <laughs> I do enjoy watching some great kickboxing. Like, it is... It's the most exciting sport, in my opinion. I've yet to ever see a dull kickboxing fight. No, they are never dull. Like, I've never seen one. I've never seen a dull kickboxing fight. Those guys go to war. And I tell people that all the time. I say, you know, and this isn't a discredit to boxers, to mixed martial artists, to the grapplers, to anybody. It's not a discredit at all to them. But the level of toughness demonstrated in those professional kickboxing fights 
is at a very different level than the rest of combat, in my opinion. For sure. Absolutely, hands down. Like, those guys are tougher than you and I could ever fucking imagine. Yeah, it is scary to watch that. I mean, UFC is terrifying. That is otherworldly horrifying. Yeah. Yeah, like, I remember uh, a few years ago on the Ultimate Fighter, they had, they used the two rival gyms. It was a team, it was American Top Team versus the Black Zillions. And um, they had the up-and-coming fighters from those gyms, and it was the actual gyms and the actual gym owners and whatever. And, I mean, one of the prominent fighters on the Black Zillions at that team before they split up and went their separate ways was um, Tyrone Spong who's widely regarded as the best, if not one of the best kickboxers of all time, period. And um, one of the guys was going to go use the um, Black Zillion's sauna. And uh, one of the guys came and told Spong, they're like, hey man, coach, he's, uh, they are using our sauna. And he's like, not anymore, they're not. And it was him and Michael Johnson, who's a UFC lightweight, went in there and you should see little Michael Johnson, right? Like he's all like, yeah, man, we're going to go. We're going to go. And of course he's tough. He's got fucking Tyrone Spong with him. And they go in there and it's the entire, you know, team of ultimate fighters from America top team. And they're like, Hey, we're going to do what we can. Our fighter has the right to cut weight. And he's like, I don't give a shit. How many of you there are get out. Like I will go like, let's do this. And I remember one of the guys, um, I want to say it might have even been like Michael Chiesa, in hindsight, uh, who's made a good little career for himself in the UFC, was like standing toe-to-toe with Tyrone Spong. He's like, I'm not afraid of you. And Tyrone's like, you don't have to be afraid of me, but just know what I can do to you. Like, just know. And uh, I remember when the season wrapped up, they were on um, that interview show with Kenny Florian on Fox Sports 1. And uh, they were interviewing them, and they said, you know, would you, the two of you ever fight? And Tyrone Spong laughed it off. He's like, no, like, no, this guy is not getting a fight with me, right? Like, he's like, I dictate those terms. Like, no, he's not getting a, no. And the guy's like, I think I would. And he's like, I, you know, um, Ty, he's like, you know, Tyrone walks around like he's Superman, but he isn't Superman. And Tyrone looks at him, he's like, you better hope I'm not. Like, you, you, like you're hoping I'm not. You're not saying that with confidence. Like, you're hoping. You know, in your best dreams, it's degrees of how badly I can hurt you. But it's like, and it was like, and as someone watching it and knows a fair bit about it, I'm like, yeah, like, you got to be careful sometimes, even at that level. And not to discredit Michael Chiesa, hell of a fighter, all of that. But, I mean, what happens if he does get that? What happens if, like, okay, fine. Let's do it. Let's find a promoter that'll put on the fight. You get it. We're going to do this. Like, you have to be very careful of these things. Because then what happens? Because he's right. In his best dreams, it's only degrees of ass whooping. You know, it's only degrees of getting your ass whooped. Um, yeah, if your best key outcome is getting destroyed, that is not an outcome I'm signing up for. <laughs> you know, oh, I could take him down. And he's like, you have to. Like, you have to take me down. Like... And good luck with that. Like, if you can, great. But, I mean, if you can't take me down, like, what's your next best plan of attack? Prayer? Like, (laughs) you know? 
right? Like, pray I roll an ankle coming towards you? <laughs> you, you, you know? It's, uh, but anyway, um, one thing uh, I did want to kind of talk about before we wrap this episode up is something we had kind of gotten into a few minutes ago there was that idea, and across any sport, not just mixed martial arts, but across all sports, the effect it is having on the end of careers and legacies, this whole stoppage of sports with COVID-19. Uh, I think we can agree that the UFC is creating an opportunity, you know, for guys like Daniel Cormier and all these other guys, you know, a chance to possibly fight. Um, but when you when you look at other sports, you know, like hockey, you have Ovechkin chasing down Gretzky's numbers. You know, you have, you know, in a way, Connor McDavid, right? Like, you know, he's lost injury time throughout his career. Now he's losing time again. You know, he could end up being one of those what could have beens. Um, you know, LeBron James... Like, how do you think, as someone who, I mean, you're you're a much broader sports fan than I am. I'd follow way more sports and know way more about sports than I do. Um, like, how do you think of this? Like, when you look at this, like, I'm sure you see, like, wait a second. There's some real implications of not getting back to work for some of these guys. I have thought about this extensively in a lot of sports. So I've thought about it in the NBA for sure. The LeBron question comes up, no doubt, because A, not only is he chasing Kareem for the all-time point lead, mm-hmm. losing 30 games this season is definitely going to set that back. Yep. Presumably, because I'm just making the assumption that the NBA does not come back at this point. Mm-hmm. I've kind of just made that assumption, and I think that's probably a safe assumption. I think we can both agree on that, that it's moving in that direction some of the news that's come out in the last week. So he's probably going to have to play another four years to have a shot at getting there. Which, yikes, that many miles on your body, that is going to be hard to come back from. Then he's also trying to chase Jordan's legacy, which what he needs to get there is more rings. If they lose this season, they were probably one of the top I would say two or three team favorites to win the NBA championship. Yep. I mean, it's basically the Clippers, the Lakers, and the Bucks who are probably kind of the odds-on favorites. Who you know, you give me them, you give me those three, or you give me the field, and I'm taking them every time. Yeah. You can even lay down odds against me on those three, and I'm still taking those three. Yeah. So I mean, that's gonna hurt. His, that's gonna cripple his legacy. Not getting this championship. Mm-hmm. Because he's gonna be stuck at maybe three. I don't know if they pull it down next year or not. Who knows? Maybe Davis decides to go somewhere else. I don't think that happened. Mm-hmm. But what if? Yeah. Well, he didn't want to sign the max um, extension. Yeah. So you never know what's gonna happen there. You and know. Then, yeah. Now he retires. Maybe let's say LeBron misses this one. Maybe gets one more. He finishes with four. Jordan's got six. LeBron's lost more finals than he's won. Kind of yeah. hurts the legacy. Well, how many does LeBron have? Only th- what does he have? Three. He's got three. One in Cleveland, two in Miami, and he's lost a lot. I think two in Miami, and I want to say three in Sa- in three Golden in State. Or yeah, yeah Cleveland. He's yeah. Lost, no, he's lost. Yeah, he's lost three to Golden State. And then I think he's also maybe lost one or two others. Because he's maybe lost upwards of seven times in the final. Yeah. Three and, and seven isn't, isn't, uh, isn't an all-time great record. No, absolutely not. I mean, hey, ten final 
accomplishment. Yeah. Making it for seven straight seasons. Yeah. Holy crap, that is an accomplishment even upon itself. Yes. But the numbers still hurt you. Yeah. So his legacy will ultimately be diminished by this. 100%. Another, another interesting one that I just thought of, and you and I have actually had extensive conversations on this one. Mm hmm. What happens with uh, Federer? Because he's got the record now. Oh, yeah. Roger Federer, that's right. Does this make it so that Nadal can now pass him? Yeah. Or does this make it so Nadal can't pass him? Because I'm assuming that the French Open gets canceled this year. Well, Wimbledon got canceled, so... Wimbledon got canceled, which was Roger's best shot in another one. Yeah. And I don't know if the French is going to be coming back or not, but that Nadal's obviously that shot. Yeah. So if this whole season gets scrapped... Yeah. Does Nadal have the ability to catch Federer? What are your thoughts? Well, I think it becomes an interesting thing because you now have to really look at the Djokovic part of the equation. And so isn't it age-wise, I think it goes Federer, Djokovic, Nadal or something like that, I think? I think Nadal is but I think they're all like they're all actually much closer in age than people realize, though. It's not like Federer's good is like this ancient fossil compared to the other two. It's like they're all within like two. Like I think it's like Federer's one year older than Rafa, who's one year older than Joker in that case, or something like that. Like it's the the age discrepancy is not huge. No, I just looked it up. Roger turned thirty nine in August. Mm-hmm. Nadal turned thirty. Oh. June. Okay. And Djokovic will be 33 later this month. So you're oh. right though. Djokovic and Nadal are right there age-wise with each other. Yeah. I didn't realize Federer was that far ahead. Okay. So Federer's got five years on them. Quite a bit further ahead just because that was kind of where Nadal kind of came in and broke out just yeah. as Roger was at his peak or coming down from the peak. True. Yeah. I'll say this. I think... It comes down to Rafa's health. Because when Rafa's on top of his game, I truly think he's probably the toughest person to beat right now. Um, yeah. I, I think Rafa is the best in tennis right now. Um, I do like I do have a soft spot for Roger Federer because it's just he comes across as just such a genuinely good, nice guy. It's hard to root against uh, Roger Federer. Um you know, I'd love to see Roger hang on to it. I just don't... With Rafa right on his heels and having that five-year kind of buffer zone, it, I think Djokovic becomes the wild card because remember, every time... Like, the, the story has become, too, with Roger in a bit, is how many runner-ups he's had in the last three, four years. Right? Like... He's it's it's always a two grand slam swing for him because he's losing in finals and he's losing to one of those two. And I think that, you know, that becomes a more interesting storyline in the grand scheme of it is let's say Roger is forced to call it a career this season or next. I think if Rafa comes back, his knees are healthy, he's healthy, he's motivated, whatever, and that 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 Grand Slam record is within striking distance, I think he could get it and kind of run away a little bit and give himself some breathing room over Djokovic. 
Um, but I think the bigger question for Rafa or for Federer is going to be looking back how many of those missed opportunities. He had a match point last year against Djokovic, lest we forget at Wimbledon. Like he had a, a I think it was a double match point and didn't get the job done and Djokovic came back to win. Like, that's when you have to start asking yourself, how many of those did I let slip through my hands? Well, that's just that he had the double match point against Djokovic. And then, uh, Ra- or, and then uh, Nadal's one Wimbledon win is against Federer. Yeah. So if those two Wimbledon break differently, he's now got a four-major lead on Nadal, which yeah. is going to put that out of reach. Yeah. And Djokovic is quite a ways behind in the conversation too. Yeah. So that's not in reach either. Well, they're taught... And you look at how many times Djokovic has had to beat Federer in finals. I mean, he always seems to have an easier time beating Federer than Rafa, and rightfully so. Um, It's... You know, you look at those. I mean, if, if Federer closes on those... Yeah, I mean, it's a different story. Maybe Djokovic is, they're, they're still talking of, can he get to Sampras's number versus does he end up being the one with the record at the end of it all? So, yeah, it's, I think, I hate to say it, yeah, in all of sports, the one person who might be in the most limbo right now because of where he sits is Roger Federer. That's my thinking. If he's going to be objectively probably too old to really make a run of it when he comes back mm-hmm. because yeah the layoff will be you can argue will be good for his body but when you're 39 years old the body only heals so much yeah and now the year off yeah it's gonna hurt him because he's turning 34 yeah but it's also gonna be really good for somebody who has had some injury issues who's had some problems with his knees yeah that maybe this year off kind of bought him back some time benefit to him but doesn't hurt him quite as much well and and remember too the athlete of today is much different than the athlete of yesteryear and for anybody 39 today 45 today is very different than 45 of yesterday and i think we're seeing with taking care of yourself being proactive on these things you know, watching your nutrition, watching your training, uh, your supplementation, all of these things, in a way we've rediscovered as human beings how to get the most out of ourselves and how a lot of our kind of quote-unquote aging and that clock was a little bit of our own doing. And, you know, like I look at it now, it was funny because I was telling Jess, like now that I have the elliptical machine at home, I I do at least two 30-minute rounds a day on the elliptical. And I try to push for three or four sessions a day. And what I do is I spread them out because it's like we've talked about with the ball hockey. That lactic acid builds out at the last World Dom. I had no legs left by that last game. Like, I was telling my teammates, like, I'm like, I just, like, my legs are so fucking heavy right now. And I look at this now and, and this, wind, this this ability, and I've only had the elliptical for a few weeks, but I'm like, just by doing that and being able to push through those th- two, three, four rounds a day, I'm like, yeah, guess what? Next World Dom, 
I am going to go back in net. And guess what? I am going to fucking steal the tournament. And so I look at that. I'm like, well, wait a second here. Maybe they're onto something. Like they were like LeBron a few weeks ago was showing his training. That guy's fucking jacked, by the way. And, you know, there is something to it. I mean, look at even for you. You had never played hockey before last, what, October when we had the first World Dom? And, you know, you'd, you know, and now all of a sudden, like, it's a sport that you enjoy. It's something you can, you contribute in. It's, you know, you don't, you don't go out there and you're like, oh man, how bad am I going to look today? It's like, you're like, no, I'm going to out hustle. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Right. And this is a sport you're picking up in your mid thirties. Like you're picking up a sport and playing it. At, at your highest ability in your mid-30s. And I'm yeah, sure... No point, Go ahead. At no point in my life will I ever be able to say... Well, I mean, maybe in like as I get older, I might be able to say I'm better. But there is no glory days of my youth for me when it comes to hockey. Like, yeah. there is my glory days today. Yeah. And... And they're not that bad. And when you think about it, dude, think about when we were in our, or like when we were right around graduating university. So we're in our early to mid twenties. You're in better shape now and probably able to do more out there playing ball hockey now than you would have back then. Guaranteed. I think my cardio was better back when we graduated, but I'm physically so much stronger yeah. now than I was when we graduated. No, granted, that was um, that was twenty six year old Nick who just never really lifted weights. My cardio was still off the charts, but yeah, yeah, you're right. I would have been a much better player now because I have the strength and the muscle to kind of force my way through a little yeah, bit more. Yeah, exactly. I'm not saying change the circumstances back then. I said take the yeah. circumstances as they were. Back yeah. then, you would have been nothing compared to what you could do now, and it's just so. It's a tough question, but yeah, I think Roger Federer in all of sports finds himself in the most precarious position as to where his legacy sits. You know, when you look at the grand scheme of it, is somebody going to go 51-0 and like Floyd Mayweather did in boxing? I don't know. Does COVID-19 really affect that? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Someone who's going to go 50-0, and 51-0 and in boxing, they're going to do it regardless. And no matter what Floyd does at this point in his career, he's never going to be looked back on as the best ever. Right. There's just no... It's just... It's not that he's not a great fighter. It's just this, this generation of boxing, it just isn't respected like it was 30 years ago. Well, did I send you that tr- Did I send you that clip of Tyson training? Yeah, he's currently still training. Yeah, where he was fucking hitting the pads at 54 years old. That was a scary... Mu- I would never... I wouldn't... Su- and he wants to fight ch- for charity? Who the hell is the sucker that's going to take that fight? Yeah, I, you could not... There's a lot of things I would do for money. It would take a lot of money for me to get into a legitimate boxing match with Mike Tyson. Yeah. The way he was hitting pads the other day? Oh my god. But again, I was, you know, I was talking to my mother and grandfather. I mean, and he is a medical perfect. He's as medical professional and expert in this area as there is in terms of brain health and brain injury. Yeah. And I was, and I said, I have a hypothesis about this. Tyson's career was never going to have the, never had the abuse 
and the strain on it that a lot of other guys did because he had a the prison time, the time away from the the ring, all of that. His career ended relatively young. Then he went through those years of kind of getting out of shape and doing the Hangover movies and all of that, and being broke. And that now that he's in his fifties, had all that time off, gotten himself into shape. That power that he had back, you know, in his twenties and his thirties, it doesn't go away. So now you have a guy whose brain is pro is it might be sharper than it's ever been before. He's in a healthier mind space than he's ever been before. That's a guy that could beat some legitimate heavyweight contenders right now in boxing. Yeah, I could see him beating a couple of... I could see him beating some he- some of the current heavyweights right now, for sure. No, I am not a boxing expert, but I do think Mike Tyson, with just his innate skill set, could probably get there. I mean, Holy... Uh, Foreman came back at, like, what, 50? Yeah. And he was he was out of shape and slow. Like Tyson was hitting those mitts hard and fast and sharp. Holy shit! His movement, his ducking, everything—it was just pop, 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 pop. And you're like, oh my fucking word. Well, when you're in, when you're in your peak and your fights are going two to three rounds because you already knocked the person out. Yeah, he, he didn't take that much abuse over those over those early years in his career because yeah. he finished everybody so quickly. He was just fucking people up. If if he said if the you, you hear uh, bare knuckle FCs apparently offered him a huge deal to come fight for them. Really? Yeah. Here's the thing: they could offer him the fucking farm, the entire farm. They could open up the vault and be like, "This is all yours." Who is going to stand at the opposite end of that ring slash cage and fight him? Which fucker who's fighting in bare knuckle FC right now at heavyweight is going to be lining up to be like, yeah, that's who I want to be getting fucking having swinging at me. And Tyson, it was always about the power in tight, right? Eliminate your ability to, to tee off on him. You know, ducking and weaving, get in tight, shot to the body. Sh- Imagine a bare knuckle Mike Tyson fist coming at your face. That's the scariest thing I could imagine. If you, uh, I would take the fight and just be like, so how long do I have to last in the ring? Just until the bell rings? Great. And just jump over the rope. I think you'd cry. I think. I, I, don't, think, I, I, don't, I don't think I could stand in there. I think when the bell rung. I'd have to make a run for it. I'd have to head back to Canada. Yeah, otherwise you'd cry. I I would cry. If I got in there and that bell rang and he started walking towards me, I'd, I'd cry. I'd wet myself out of both ends. And um, that would be it. That's what I was going to say. I would make a big mess in the ring. Is what I would do. And as that, fist, as that fist was coming towards my face... I would just be seeing my life flash before me. Yeah, I don't think there's any other option. I think you are seeing your life. I think you're seeing your life end. Yeah. That towards you. To be honest, I don't think you or I <laughs> have what it takes to take that punch. Never, never, never. I want to be very clear about that. I, I never will have what it takes. I think my job might come off my body if he took a swing. If he took a bare knuckle swing at me. Yeah, he might knock it clean off. 
Yeah, he might knock it across the room. Like, it might be one of the most grotesque, nastiest things they've ever seen in combat sports. It might be one of the most grotesque, nasty things they've ever seen in the emergency room. <laughs> Where yeah. they see some shit. Yeah, like, it's... It, it's it, I, I do not fucking uh, envy that at all. All right. I think uh, before we wrap it up here tonight, anybody else you want to talk about or discuss their how their legacy could be impacted um, due to this COVID nineteen thing in the world of sports? I can think of a couple, a couple that, but go, I'll, I'll let you pick, and we'll finish it off there. So you pick. No, you pick. I'm trying to think of somebody else who I can think of off the top of my head, and it's not coming to me right in this moment. Okay, I'll say this. I think it's bought Tiger Woods some time. Tiger was where my mind was going. I think it has been a blessing for Tiger. And I think this has maybe put that Jack Nicholas record right back within striking range. And, uh, pardon me? It's an interesting one. It's given his body time to heal up again. Yep. You know, he, he's bought himself all he, you know, he gets a couple majors a year over the next couple of years and he's done it. Like, lest we forget that, what is he now, 15-time major champion? Like, he's in elite rare company, and he's someone who's benefited. But the person I was going to say, and I mentioned him earlier, that I think who truly faces, um, and I mean, he's he has some what-ifs and what-could-have-beens because, you know, he's done that unto himself. But if he gets to even 800 goals... It is one of the most remarkable accomplishments, in my opinion, because of how many times he's had to deal with shortened seasons and whatnot, is Alex Ovechkin. I think his stock, no matter where he finishes in his career, goes up exponentially even more because of him losing potentially games here. Yeah, he's somebody who just had, we talked about this before, how bad a break he's had with his career and his ability to put up Losing a season. Didn't yeah. have a lockout shortened season. Two. I think he had two lockout shortened seasons. I could. I, I was thinking it was one that was shortened by 30, and then they lost the season. I, they, I couldn't remember if they had a second lock. Oh, no, yeah, and then they had this outbreak. So let's assume he's lost. Let's say he's lost the better part of four. Like, he's lost. He's had four seasons shortened by something out of his control. He's probably lost upwards of 100 in his career beyond things beyond his factors beyond his control yeah probably but more I would say maybe upwards of almost 200 when it's all said and done but go on yeah. so let's just assume it's 150 and let's assume for just conservative just for the conservative math yeah we'll say he scored an average of a half goal a game for his career which we both know is not that which is I think he scores at about I think he scores at two thirds of his games I think he's like that's he, what I was thinking it should be closer to I think he scores at almost 60%. So let's round that up and say he's scoring almost anywhere between 90 to 100 goals in that time period. That's 800 goals he's already at. Exactly. And these are peak years that he lost, too. Like yeah. He lost, you see, he was probably scoring it closer to a goal a game yeah. than 0.6 goals a game. Yeah. If he's scoring a .7 goals a game during that pace, or even .75, he, like, that Gretzky number, not only is it within reach, it is in very much danger. 
it might even be uh, we might even be seeing it down by now or close it to down by yeah. We might be seeing this the countdown to the record. Yeah, the count to eight ninety five. Yeah, next season would for sure be the count to eight. Next year for sure is the count to eight ninety five. You know, and that's I mean, I think he right now up there with like LeBron. The difference is, whilst they're both incredibly affected by this, Ovechkin's stock goes up. LeBron, in my opinion, his stock, like you said, it takes a huge hit, especially if they can't bring back Anthony Davis and they can't find a caliber of player to replace that hole. It's rough for LeBron. What's interesting for LeBron, though, yeah. I don't think his stock has that much room to go up. It doesn't. He's kind of peaked. Well, exponentially room to grow. Yeah. But really, the people who don't think he's better than Jordan are never going to think he's better than Jordan. Exactly. He's already top five. Yeah. So he goes from top five to top four. Yeah. Top four to top three. Until he, unless you're going to put him above Michael, two to five is kind of irrelevant. Yeah. It's true. Whereas Ovechkin is still trying to get into that number five spot. Yeah. All time. Yeah. He'll try to get there. So him losing this season and these games is yeah. probably the thing that keeps him from getting there. But I think it gives him that more of that credence to be considered pound for pound maybe the best goal scorer of all time. Oh, for sure. It gives him, it gives him the, the credibility of being the best goal scorer of all time because that's the legacy and the intrigue. Yeah. The unfortunate thing is two generations from now, People are just going to kind of forget that this whole thing happened, and they're just going to look at the number. That's the challenge. In two generations, no one remembers that there was a season lost to COVID because people don't actually dig that far into the numbers. Yeah. People aren't going to remember that it was the lock to it. They're just going to assume, oh, he must not have played that season. Right. He must have gotten injured. Yeah. Until the hockey experts dig in and go, oh, no, he lost a season due yeah. to a lockout. There's going to be a hell thirty for a hell of a thirty for thirty made on Ovechkin's goal scoring when it's all said and done. Yeah. Now the interesting thing is the other thing for Ovechkin is his third the season he lost yeah. is before he started. So it's kind of like we just assume he got a year later start to the NHL run. Either. There's not even a really an aberration. Yeah. You just look at the pure numbers of his career. You go, oh, okay, he started that season. Yeah. Oh, he must have injured the season that they had the that they had the one loss. Right. Short season. Yeah. Yeah, he it's 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 remarkable. Like he's lost prime playing time. Forgetting this COVID nineteen thing, all of his time lost before this was prime playing time. And this year, objectively, they've lost another great opportunity to pull down the stand to put to raise the Stanley Cup. Yeah, I like their chance. I like their chances out of the East, and I think they can beat St. Louis. I think they can unquestionably beat St. Louis. I like their chances out of the East. And now they know how to win. They've yeah. done it before. They know how to get there. And they've so beaten the end and the year. Well, and I think the nice thing about it is unlike for Boston last year, who everything went their way en route to the Stanley Cup final, Washington had to face adversity every round en route to their cup. They had to beat Toronto. Then they had to beat Pittsburgh. Then they had to beat Tampa Bay. Then they had to end the Cinderella story of Vegas in Vegas. 
right? There was like, it was kind of one of those rounds where at any time you kind of thought, oh, this, this is going to be the one. They're not going to get past Pittsburgh. And then, oh, they do. Yeah. No, they're not. They definitely don't have the town they smell. Yeah. Oh, wow, they did. Oh, well, this Vegas team is just the team of destiny. Yeah. And then they still have how pull it in. Yeah. It's it's remarkable what they were able to do, um, but yeah. Anyway, I think we can wrap it up there uh, for today, bud. I thank you so much for coming on to the uh, podcast. We'll have to do that again in the next little bit. Uh, maybe actually when you come over to watch UFC, we should record a podcast in person, actually. Um, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Yeah, let's do that. I just think I'm not talking to my phone. <laughs> Well, it'll be it'll be nice too for the listeners, right? They'll be like, "Oh my God, it sounds so much better." But we do the best we can, people, especially given the whole COVID nineteen thing. Um, but anyway, uh, Nick, I thank you so much for being on the show. All of you, I thank you so much uh, for tuning into this episode of the Seems Legit Podcast. If you aren't already doing so, please follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at the Dude Sunny D. Take care and bye bye for now. <laughs>